Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into a very, very special At The Buzzer podcast. We are, of course, a Ralphie Report podcast published in the Total Ralphie Radio news feed on all of your favorite apps. Um, we got Spotify. We got all the other favorite apps that I'm not uh, remembering right now. And uh, we are once again joined by me, one co-host, best co-host, Jack, um, and a very special guest founder co-host, John. Hello, John. How you doing, Jack? It's been it's been a little while since I have joined you on at the buzzer, but I am very excited to dive into our topic of conversation today and chat with our guest, our other guest. Yes, you. That was the lead that we buried. Our favorite best guest, um, of course, we have Matt Brown, um, who does plenty of of coverage across the country for Extra Points, his his newsletter. Welcome in, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's it's a it's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. Um, and we were just talking about this before, but the, the national media has now seen um, some of what we've seen on a day-to-day basis in spring football, um, which is that Deion Sanders is wasting no time um, turning the roster into, if not better than something more in his image in, in Boulder. So um, the article that we saw you pop up on April 28th um, was about the massive roster purge. And and it's on the field implications, but stuff that something that I'm not an expert in and John's not an expert in that you are is the off the field implications um, into that whole situation. So um, I guess before we ask specific questions about the article, is there anything you wanted to say about that um, when you we were writing that piece, diving into it? Um, yeah. yeah and, any thoughts there? I'm, 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 I'm happy to. I mean, I think, you know, speaking to a Colorado fan audience, I think I'd want to reiterate that. My skepticism and some level of frustration with this kind of aggressive roster turnover is not personal. Like, I'm not sitting here rooting for Colorado to fail. I I didn't watch a ton of tape of last year's team, but I know how to work a spreadsheet. I saw enough of them to know that they were very bad. I understand the thought process behind this, and I can understand why a Colorado fan might feel like they're being picked on a little bit um, or that maybe some of the criticism is overwrought. Mm-hmm. I am approaching this not just as somebody who cares who wins football games and, and how football games are, are are played and how rosters are built, but I, you know my publication really focuses on off the field forces that shape this industry and looking at what this means for 
the future of athlete rights, what this might mean for future NCAA litigation, what this might mean for congressional uh, hearings and, and the NCAA's efforts to get you know, state laws changed. That's more of my focus. But if, if I was sitting, if I'm sitting here in Littleton and I'm, I, all I care about is can this team block better than last year? Like that, that's a, then it's a different conversation. And I, I want to make sure that that's like, you know, telegraphed up front mm-hmm. because I understand that different people, you know, care about different things with, with, with this whole operation here. And, and I respect that. Matt, you have, uh, for those uh, of our listeners that haven't checked out Extra Points, it's a fantastic uh, newsletter that covers the covers the, the game in a way that's different than, than most other sources. And you've got your audiences are this interesting Venn diagram of hardcore college football fans, yeah. uh, a, unique, a unique group of journalists, a lot of that coming back to our... Um, to our SB Nation days and how everyone has has gone forth and, and conquered. And then college administrators, whether in the athletic department with, with the university, within those different audiences, how are you seeing this, this roster purge, this news, this change with how Coach Prime is handling, uh, building a new roster? How are you seeing that reaction different amongst those three audiences? That's a great question. And it is a different response. Uh, I would say among the fans, among the the more on the field oriented reporters and from people that work in football operations or like in, in player personnel or on the coaching side I, I've, I've heard some of this feedback and i've read this elsewhere the athletic had a really good story about it this week too and they're the feedback that the athletic reported on one-to-one matches everything that i've heard which is we are concerned about how this is going to work on the field because there aren't enough p5 caliber dudes mm-hmm. in the portal right now and that the assumption here is that not everybody that's leaving Colorado is somebody that was that was necessarily pushed out. There are power five caliber players that have decided to leave for for whatever reason. Uh, I, I one, one of my one of my 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 uh, my readers who is a, a writer for another national publication said, you know, when I look at this roster, my concern is that it's a little bit of a seven on seven roster where you have the, the talent, you know, more con- you know, more concentrated in mm-hmm. Dion's image. You have potentially you know, plus level defensive backs, potentially plus level wide receivers, you may have an above average or maybe a, a be better than that quarterback. And then your depth and particularly at the, in the, in the, along the center of the field is, is not where it needs to be. And that will show up by week eight, by week nine, or given Colorado's schedule this year by week four. Right. Um, and, and, and you would look back and say, this, this might not work. Um, granted, Dion and his staff know things that we don't, and there are probably people that haven't hit the portal or or or, or their 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 roster. What they think, where they're thinking about going, isn't publicly known. But maybe Colorado knows something about that. But the, on the football side, there's a lot of I don't know if there's 60 people that you can get that weren't yeah. cast off some other rosters and can be effective and effective at building a culture, a culture building cohesiveness within that roster. On the administrator side. I would say 80% of the feedback that I've gotten has been feedback that has shared my concerns in the piece, which is more of, we understand the football reasons why this is happening, but if we're going to get in front of Congress and testify that we shouldn't make athletes employees because if they're employees, they might get fired. Mm -hmm. And then somebody within our own conference fires 40 guys. That is going to completely undermine the message that we're trying to send. It's going to undermine how we're trying to, to, to reorganize this business, knowing that the court system and other factors are trying to push us in a more professionalized direction. So there's there's concern that this might be an accelerant. You know, for for good or for ill, 
and, and, and be, tell us, tell me if I'm, I'm off base on reading this here. I feel like the Colorado recruiting story has broken contain in that it's not just the college football Reddit people and message board degenerates <laughs> and recruitniks that have opinions about this. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where somebody's grandmother or mother or like Normie could potentially say like, oh, y'all hear about this Deion Sanders guy. And when that happens, yeah. that means some lawmaker is going to hear about it. That means some, 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 uh, another attorney, somebody who's in a position to grandstand. And that's where you can run into some problems. And that was the feedback that I heard from multiple division one conference commissioners, um, not necessarily power five commissioners, but division one conference commissioners, like, you know, the feedback after that story was we're, we're concerned about how this is going to come up at a hearing in July. To your point, just yesterday, um, I was shocked. I was just on uh, on my Twitter feed, and the New York Times, not the Athletic, the New York Times main feed was tweeted out the Bruce Feldman Athletic article about Deion Sanders, and that's, yeah. I guess, breaking contained past the college football world. Um, is yeah, national publications are talking about this in an interesting way, um, and I thought your your piece did a great job. Um, showing how that might matter legislatively, which is something that I guess Colorado fans, yeah, aren't thinking about and don't necessarily care about um, because it's more about what, what looks, what the team looks like next year in their head, as opposed to, you know, the ramifications legally. Um, yeah. Would, and and, and I, I have, I, I understand that. Like, I, yeah. I have, I have empathy for that. I, I, my counter would be, you may want to care at least a little bit. Right, Because if we move in a world in the next two years where college athletes become direct employees or directly compensated by athletic departments, and that's not a message board or a, a activist hypothetical, like Johnson v. NCAA is being decided in federal courts right now, and conservative judges are saying, hey, I don't think this amateurism thing makes sense anymore. If that system comes to pass, I would think that Colorado would be in a, would be um, – would be damaged by that change more than, than some of the peers that, that they compete against. That world is probably going to go worse for Colorado than it is for Texas or USC or UCLA. And right. so I would imagine that you may not want that to happen, or if you don't want that, to, if it is going to happen, you want to manage that change in some capacity. So it is, it is less detrimental to your program. So this could be a situation where this may help Colorado football the most in the short term. And then in six years from now, it might make things much worse. Who could say? I tell if I had a perfect crystal ball, fellas, I charge a hell of a lot more than eight bucks for this newsletter, right? Like I'm, 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 I'm trying to read the the muddy tea leaves the best I can. Well, and ex expand on that a little bit with with when you said that Colorado fans in the future this may not help the Buffaloes as much as it would help a, a Texas or an Ohio State, and I think a lot of our listeners would probably can can understand what you're alluding to. But let's dig into that a little bit further, and, and also. What is the what is the ceiling for Colorado to move up in the in the ecosystem as a school? Obviously, right now, football, Colorado's darn near to the bottom uh, and, and fans are, are struggling with wanting to get back to the glory that, that the team had. But can Dion move them up uh, in the in those the college football echelons? And, and what, how could this hurt them more than some of those other schools? Can we dig into that? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So, you know, 10,000 foot level here, uh, the, the, some of the changes that are possible, whether that is with the federal court system, whether that's the National Labor Relations Board, or whether that's Congress itself, um, in the next two to three years, we'll be deciding cases that would say, hey, 
you can't amateurism doesn't exist anymore. Like college football players are employees. Mm-hmm. One of the big questions is not will college football players become employees? For absent congressional action, my professional opinion is it's very likely they will be. The bigger question is what happens to everybody else? And right. in a system where theoretically um, uh, college baseball and women's basketball and college softball and soccer and alpine skiing and like this whole thing fall under the employee model, then that puts a significant revenue crunch on for athletic departments. And we know that, you know, Colorado in particular that doesn't have an SEC or a Big Ten television deal that uh, has struggled with alumni donations and other revenue streams more than some of their power five peers. And you know, mm-hmm. one of those big flagship deals is this point, this points bet, uh, you know, gaming initiative has already kind of gone up in smoke. Like that's yeah. not something that a lot of other schools would do because they, they, they could decide the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. I understand why Colorado did that. So now suddenly you have a system where potentially 35% of your revenue, 40 maybe or more may have to get funneled directly to players. Um, and, and you still need to pay for facilities. You still need to pay for some of these other things. So if you're a place that like Texas or an Ohio State or UCLA even, where your long-term finances are more secure compared to some of your peers, this will be a very disruptive change. Fans might not like it, but you're going to have the tools that you need to do, that you need to, to weather that change most likely. But if you're Colorado or Purdue or Kansas State or Iowa State or any number of other programs that don't have FU global money, um, those changes can be a little bit more uncertain. And, and, and to win in a place like Colorado, I think across lots of different sports, you are not going to be able to get the state, you know, you're not going to get Kentucky basketball five stars every single year in basketball. You're not going to get, even with Deion Sanders, you're not likely to, to, to sign 65% of your class to blue chippers. You have to do things a little bit differently, take advantage of elevation, play a different scheme, make people uncomfortable, all these other things. There's, I think, an open question in a completely different college sports ecosystem, will that be possible? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in a world where we have a collective bargaining agreement or, or some other structures. And I can't tell everybody how to think. And obviously what that new world looks like is, is not completely determined. But I don't think anybody that doesn't have unlimited resources should approach that with some level of concern. Like we know you can win an Alamo Bowl. You can make a Sweet 16. You could do a bunch of things under this current system and, mm-hmm. and potentially Colorado do even more. In the next system, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I don't think I would be in a hurry to get to that system if I rooted for a program uh, like yours or Texas Tech or, or anybody else that's kind of a, a mid-cap P5 program. And I don't mean that pejoratively. That's just like that's just right. that's just what the you know that's I can read the checking account like that, that's what it says. <laughs> um, Excellent explanation. Thank you. And and this this might be a dumb question going off of that, but assuming that we do get into a point where athletes are professionals and are paid as employees. Obviously, one of the A's in the NCAA no longer applies, and it is no longer amateur. I would imagine at that point, the NCAA becomes – I mean, at this point, it is defamed and toothless. It would – I would assume die at least at that upper level. Um, I guess in my head, I'm imagining that the TV revenue is kind of a split between schools that do not need the NCAA to, to govern and may be able to pay those employees and um, schools that may – that do need the NCAA to govern or um, may be at a different step below, I guess, in terms of revenue, to your point, a mid-cap program. Is that something that is just completely off base? Is that, I guess, I'm wondering, like, how do we try to split that out? Because like you yeah. said, it's impossible. I don't, think, I, to do that. Go ahead. I don't think it's off base. 
this is not compelling podcast audio or compelling <laughs> sports radio, but like my professional opinion is always, I, th- I think, I think a lot of it depends. And so, so part right. of, part of the reason why the NCAA still exists, even for power five institutions, part of it is they like the legal liability shield um, that comes with being a part of an organization of 350 plus institutions at the D1 level. So, and, and this is a source of major consternation if you root for Northern Colorado or Air Force or maybe anybody else in the state. But when the NCAA gets sued, the whole membership has to pay for those legal bills, not just the Power Five. So for all the, the NIL stuff, right, they're hitting up the Summit League and the WAC and the Big Sky, even though like it's not really their problem. Um, and, and I know Lead One has discussed, hey, what would happen if we moved FBS football out of the NCAA entirely? Well, what happened if maybe we, we, we created this new ecosystem and we moved mm-hmm. some of these tools? And then once the lawyers and the consultants say, you could do that, and it, yes, it would mean you wouldn't have to share money anymore with Sam Houston, but your legal fees and your insurance are going to go up by tens of millions of dollars, then people realize maybe maybe we, maybe we, we want to keep this going for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, in a post-professionalized world, could that change? Sure. Um, could that change along TV lines? It could. Uh, could I imagine some Mountain West schools, despite not getting the television resources that you're getting, decide come hell or high water, we want to be in the biggest group and we'll make whatever changes we have to do. I mean, we've seen what Colorado State's been willing to do to spend money they don't have yeah. uh, to elevate their athletic department. Like, I, could we see a world where they decide to do that? I mean, it, sure, it's possible. It, I think I think a lot of it just depends on the scope of who's considered a professional. Because I could see a world where maybe only men's and women's basketball, football, and one or two other sports are professionalized and schools like Colorado still have ski teams or still have, uh, I don't even know, or, 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 or uh, cross-country programs that are amateur. And maybe those are run by USA Track or USA Volleyball. And the NCAA just sub-licenses those to run tournaments. There's, there's a bunch of different ways they could go. Um, I think the only thing that I would say I would be very comfortable saying is we are moving towards a system of, of explicit professionalization mm-hmm. unless Congress steps in. And I'm not saying Congress should. I'm, I'm a critic of amateurism. I'm just saying like that is the reality right now. So let's taking the amateurism piece off the table for a moment. Yeah. Let's imagine a world where this works, where <laughs> the buffs this year are maybe not even bowl eligible, but close. They're winning four or five games and you can see a feature where, okay, he turned the roster over. He, he won some games that they wouldn't have been competitive in or even close a season before without doing so. What impact does that have on the college football landscape and especially athletic directors and how they hire and who they hire? Is this going to drastically, not drastically, but will it change how first-year head coaches uh, look to turn over their roster? We saw Lincoln do it last year in USC, and then Coach Prime has obviously taken it to another level. And could there be another Dion? Are there there schools out there that are ready to, to, to say, okay, we need to get someone that knows how to create this conversation, who knows how to use social, that brings in his own video team, could that be something that other schools try and emulate? I, I'll say this up front. For good and for ill, I don't think there's another Deion Sanders, man. <laughs> like, it, it, I, I, and, and he, the man is a brand and, and, and unto himself. Mm-hmm. He is one of a kind. Um, and and we, we saw this at the HBCU level a little bit with a couple of schools trying to say, well, hey, we can go bring in our own uh, wealthy, well-connected NFL legend, and maybe Eddie they George. can capture some of that magic, right? Eddie George, um, uh, Brambling hired uh, the Hugh Jackson. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed Reed was pretty close Ed to getting a, getting a job, uh, I, I, and, and um, th- those didn't work um, because 
they're not Dion. Like I, I love Eddie George. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, I grew up in Columbus, you know, and and uh, he's, he's a he's a brilliant guy and uh, randomly an accomplished like singer and then good at a bunch of different things. The man's not Dion Sanders. So if, if your blueprint is we need to do we need to we need to bring in another Dion. I mean maybe Shaq might might be the only one I can think of or go hire Charles Barkley. Other than that, like that's not really a thing. The the idea of we could bring in somebody uh, to turn over three quarters of our roster uh, via the portal and, and and by being a, a, a social media focused force of nature and rebuild our team that way, I absolutely think other schools will try that if this is successful. And part of the reason I think other people will do that, because if, if this works for Colorado, I think what that will, will, will provide data for is this idea that you don't actually need 85 players to, to, to build a really good team. Like, right. I, I, I guess it's possible. I don't think it is likely that there's going to be 85 Pac-12 caliber dudes on this roster. And we saw this with Kansas uh, and, and even Arizona State more recently when they had major depth problems mm-hmm. and they had injuries. Mm-hmm. They're rolling out an SCS roster. I don't mean that in terms of like how talented they were. I mean, like you only had 62 guys. That's Northern Colorado. That's not Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can do this, if it's, hey, we get, if you get the right people and you get injury luck, you don't need 85. You can, you know, the NFL doesn't have 85. Uh, and, and that, I think, would change the calculus a little bit. It certainly does also speak to the idea that you don't really get a year zero anymore, I think, if you yes. bring in a new coach, unless you're at one of the worst jobs in college athletics. You are expected, uh, I think, to show a proof of concept and turn things around quickly. And, and here, it isn't just what Lincoln Riley did at USC, which I, I would look at Jim Mora at UConn. Yeah. Uh, and that wasn't a 65-person turnover, but I, I, I think they turned over 15 people. And they brought in a couple of starter, you know, UConn starter guys uh, from other programs, and they went from you know abject horror show to a bowl team in one year. Is UConn good? No. Like was UConn lucky a little bit? Sure, but but that that was a that was a massive jump. Um, we also saw examples of teams that tried to do this, and it didn't work. It didn't work in Nebraska. It didn't work at Texas State. Uh, it, it didn't work um, at Miami. That mm-hmm. uh, did this, you know, on a much smaller scale for two years in a row. So, um, it's it's a bit of a mixed bag. But if you, but if if Dion's able to come in here and say, I'm going to bring in 55 of my own people immediately, and we're going to win five games, and we're going to be an SP plus top 60 team or something, will will Auburn try it the next year? Yeah. Will they will, will they be able to do it as well as Dion does? Maybe, maybe not, because what they don't have in his charisma and in his marketing ability and in his his brand building, other schools are going to have more NIL money. Right. And they might just be able to, to bribe some some kids that, that that Colorado can't do. So that that will be that will be worth watching. I'll, I'll tell you what, I would not want to be the 61st best guy on a P5 roster if this were right. Because that guy's ass is getting is getting cut. Um, if 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 this system is successful in any way, um, I love that answer, and I, I guess I, I have a few different offshoots. I'd love to go off of yeah. that. Um, so one of them, I think, to me, the the best success story of turning over a roster while still winning and, and putting yourself in a position to win better is Oregon. Um, because Oregon, I believe my math is right, has nine players that were there in twenty twenty one. Um out of you know whatever that is but because they kept the right people they had the nil money they had the coach with the vision in place and i guess to me most importantly they got a great quarterback um they were able to win through that while still remaking it in their new coach's image um i don't think 
I don't think Dan Lanning is Deion Sanders. I also don't think Deion Sanders is Dan Lanning, right? So I think there's yeah. some some institutional limitations that do not allow Colorado to do anything like that. Um, but I do think that Oregon is a really good example of someone that has turned over a lot of the roster quickly and, and won through it partially because they have the administrative buy-in and also the coach and, and frankly, also Mario Cristobal had a good team and he left. So they still had a good team there, right? There was less remaking he had to do as opposed to just like adding to it. Um, so to, I guess the other part of that is I love when you said Deion Sanders is one of one, because I do think no one else would even attempt this necessarily the way that Deion Sanders is doing it. I think one thing we know he's bad at is being quiet um, at a lot of things. I think he's naturally a marketer and proud of what he does. Um, so I guess I'm curious too, just thinking about that, you know, when we've seen this now turnover and we're talking about, I don't think the portal has a lot of power five players um, I, to push back a little bit. I don't think Colorado fans necessarily think that that's true. But I do think what a lot of fans are looking at is the gap between the players that are leaving and Power 5 players is pretty massive. And even if there's a decent amount of transfer portal players that fit in that gap that aren't Power 5 replacement level players, that's still worthwhile in terms of an upgrade. Um, so I guess curious to, to hear what your thoughts about that or um, if you've heard anything around that nationally. Because I think that's where a lot of Colorado fans are. Is They might not be Power 5 level, but they're better than what we have. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say I think that's possible. And I would mm-hmm. probably want to I, – I think I would want to spend more time, you know, going through film and, and trying to do scouting to, to figure that out. Because the, the tricky thing with football is it's not – like how good you are isn't just your 247 rating, right? Right. Uh, it's how you fit in with other people and, and how you can be developed. I, I, I have no doubt that there were players – the probably young players on last year's team with uh, or the culture kind of gave up on each other and there mm-hmm. wasn't great player development that are pretty bad right now, but could become good Pac-12 football players by the end of their career. Um, I also understand that if you are, have a mandate to get better quickly and, and to, to, to rebuild some excitement and some interest around this program and you can't afford to take three years to develop, then you might say, listen, you might have that great, you might have a great career ahead of you. It just won't be here because that's not the kind of program that we can be. Um, as other players were probably just reaches from Carl Durrell's staff and would be happier in the Conference USA or the, mm-hmm. the Missouri Valley or somewhere else. Uh, that's entirely possible. And there's some that are going to play in the Big Ten or, or are going to play in the, in, the, in the Big 12 or the SEC and yeah. uh, for culture fits or because they didn't like the staff or for whatever reason aren't, aren't going to stick around. So I would say that argument is possible. The other thing I think you have to think about is we don't really have like a track record of somebody being able to sustainably build a roster constantly flipping like this, like they're playing right. football manager or something. Right. And so even if you are forgetting it, so let's say you take a transfer from Old Dominion mm-hmm. and that guy has two or three years eligibility and he provides an incremental benefit. Well, I mean, you, you have to have that guy now for another two years if he has if he has full eligibility left because the new NCAA rules say that if, you're, if a guy's transferred more than once, if he leaves, he remains as a counter on your roster. He remains mm-hmm. as a counter against your APR score. So is that incremental gain better than what you could have gotten with a high schooler or what you could have gotten by developing somebody you already had? I don't know, right? And I don't know to what extent this staff was committed to finding some of that stuff out versus let's just go off and get who we can get. That wasn't necessarily how they needed to win at Jackson State. And again, right. like for me, 
that's not a pejorative. I think it just speaks to there's some things about this staff that we don't necessarily know yet because you could out talent people. Um, uh, and, and certainly uh, and you didn't need to have enormous depth to win a bunch of games in the swag, even though I think the coaching talent there is very high. So uh, it speaks to the risk, right? Like this, yeah. is a, this is a very bold, very different thing. If it doesn't work, well, what you were, what was working before wasn't working. What you're doing before wasn't working either. And now it's the least interesting. If it does work, potentially significant changes for how other people build their rosters. It's going to mean everybody should watch some Colorado football games this year, which hasn't, Hasn't been the case in a minute. It's, yes. And and like you said, you know, it's, it is not an easy on-ramp, right? And yeah. it, it will be apparent very quickly, um, the success of failure, because TC, at TCU and then Nebraska at home is about as public as you could have for a, uh, a starting of the season. Um, I think, I guess, the final question or point I had based off of that is, I think part of the reason why Deion Sanders is such a good fit at Colorado specifically, too, is because... Colorado has been mired in institutional apathy and overall um, athletic department lack of success, you know, one winning season of football in 17 years. So I think they were more than willing to cede a lot of control to Deion Sanders, um, who has needed a lot of that leeway to do what he needs to do, even with the video team like John brought up, like he brought all of his own support system pretty much too. Um, I'm curious if you've heard anything from the administration side or the overall, I guess, coaching side too, um, if they're worried that this does try to catch on about having to cede some of that control to coaches. Because I do think that's part of the reason why Coach Prime and CU work so well together, because CU is willing to give up so much of that yeah. to Deion Sanders. I don't know if that's true across the country. Well, what you're describing there is a power struggle that happens at a lot of departments throughout the country. And it isn't necessarily just what do we, what do we give to the – football coach versus the athletic department, but then it's also the boosters and, and, and other, and other mm -hmm. extensions, right? Uh, some people need more of that than others. I think um, based on what I saw from Sanders at Jackson State, and I think based on Sanders' career beforehand, he is somebody that I think would benefit from somebody in the building occasionally <laughs> telling him no. Um, and and, and uh, it's not, again, there's only one Deion Sanders, so it's not like a great comparison. But um, I think that would have been true with, with Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, who is somebody who also has a really hard time just being cool for like 10 freaking seconds. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and who the inf athletic infrastructure was really built to empower him in a lot of ways. Eventually it worked. But the department got into some trouble that maybe they, they, uh, they could have avoided um, had they had a, a, a more independent support structure. Right? Someone tell you no. The advantage to building everything around one guy um, is that you can get things done quicker. Um, and especially if you need to do something this dramatic. And I think at a place like Colorado, where you haven't had sustained athletic success for most of our adult lives, I, I understand why that would be a very, um, uh, I bet you'd be comfortable making because what you've been doing before wasn't really working. You also run the risk though, when you have somebody that, uh, is a, a big personality and is, is, it might take some big swings is that if there's no structure to check him. You can get into big trouble. Um, we, we, there was nobody in Columbus who was telling Urban Meyer no, and that's right. how you end up with Zach Smith uh, and also everything that happened to Florida. I don't think there was anybody telling Deion Sanders no at prime prep, and that's how you end up with like that disaster piece. Uh, there weren't enough people at Ole Miss telling Hugh Freeze no or calling <laughs> him out, 
and you know that's a whole nother three hour three hour show so right. I, I don't want to say that like Deion Sanders is a bad person or that that, that old miss circuit you freeze is exactly the case here but that is the calculated risk that you run when you seed um both like infrastructure support really to the football coach especially a guy who's never coached fbs football before and also like the the public uh case here right like if there's a, if there's a, an issue between colorado's athletic director and deon sanders in the next two years who's the who is the colorado fan gonna side with right like, it's not it's not the suit right it's 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 uh it's 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 not the guy that that's hitting up the donors it's the new face of the department um right the other thing i think just yeah very, I, I think quickly for my peers, everything you just said, Jack, I think makes a ton of sense. This is a place that's going to give them a lot of power. It's a place to let them re- reshape things here. And that may, that may work out very well. Mm-hmm. What was surprising to me and some of my other peers about this job is that uh, Boulder, Colorado and University of Colorado are, are wonderful places. They have many, many great attributes. I would not say it is necessarily the most uh, melanin-blessed campus or fan-based in, in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And Deion Sanders is, is, uh, is, is, is very proudly black. And it's like, I want, I want to bring in HBCU stuff to Boulder. And I am not going to, I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm going to talk and act and dress the way that I am, which, which can be great. And uh, that kind of, of, of culture clash can work out very well in some places. It can work out very well when people are winning in some places and in some in other places when things aren't going well, it, it, it can become a challenge. I would have expected maybe a more urban environment or a more diverse environment yeah. or more diverse state for where, where he might go. When HBCU coaches or staffers are hired, they're generally to other places in the South. Um, mm-hmm. This could work out very well, but I, I, I would, I, I'm saying this not to say, I think Colorado is racist, which is not what I'm, which is not what I'm saying, just that this is already a very brash, different guy this is another factor to think about in case this team goes three and nine yeah and and last last point on that too i thought it was interesting that his opening press conference he mentioned i did not expect him to mention the track records he was had recently of hiring black head coaches he was he's the third out of four of the last football coaches hired this is a great great point this is this is a great point and it's something that the pac-12 as a league i think actually does really well yeah. compared to the big 10 that likes to pretend that they've solved racism and that's just a southern problem and then there's no <laughs> there's no staffers anywhere at those institutions that is that is that is definitely true um yeah and great answer i appreciate that um, let's let's do uh let's do a little role playing matt um especially based on on what you know in the circles that your newsletter uh runs in and, and reaches and put yourself in rick george's shoes uh colorado athletic athletic director athletic director we don't know the conversations that he and Dion have had we don't know what was agreed upon or what wasn't agreed upon or shared but you're Rick George you're sitting here on on May 5th um you saw the spring game you saw the sellout you saw season tickets sold out you've also seen the roster you've seen the coverage not all positive how are you feeling uh how are you feeling about this grand experiment uh a few months in and is it more positive more negative uh, than you may have expected legitimately i think if i was him i'd be feeling pretty good because because you knew that you know if you're if you're bringing this guy no matter what happens you're never going to get uniformly positive coverage you know if you're bringing in somebody that's tied to the barstool sports extended universe that there's going to be some part of the npr tote bag you know holding community that's not going to like this guy and and you know that recruiting has some rough edges and that's that's going to be part of it but 
you also know that you need to fill that stadium and you need you need to get people donors engaged and you need to get brands engaged and get people talking about Colorado football. So if I was an AD, well, I would probably not be sleeping super well because I'm aware of what a calculated risk that I've made. If it doesn't work, I'm not going to have a job at Colorado anymore. Um, but look, the ESPN's broadcasting your spring game. It's it's sold out. You're going to have national reporters uh, you know, checking in with you all season long. You're going to be on TV a lot. You know, if things don't go well with the Pac-12, which is a whole different reason why I'd be losing some sleep, you're going to have some other options. There's no risk-free, perfect solution here, but from his vantage, I, I think you're probably feeling pretty good so far. And, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned the eyeballs and looking at the, it's May, but we can go ahead and start looking at, at week one and specifically week one Saturday and the lineup of games on that weekend. There's North Carolina, South Carolina, there's Penn State, West Virginia, not a whole lot. I, I guess I think there's a Ohio State, Indiana, maybe if I'm remembering correctly, but there's not a whole lot. It's a pretty light slate for opening Saturday uh, week one. And then you have Colorado and prime and all of uh, the curiosity around how this is going to work, taking on the the loser in the, um, in the playoff final last year at TCU against that team, a team that, that uh, according to reports courted him a year previous mm-hmm. What, what kind of numbers are we talking on this game? Is Can you remember a game that's going to have this much hype and this much week one concentrated eyeballs on it? And, and what should we expect? The, the, like you mentioned earlier, you, there are folks that don't follow college football closely. There are folks that are on the New York Times list that are seeing them share athletic stories. How, how big should we expect this game to be from a media coverage standpoint uh, in week one against TCU? Yeah, that's, it's a great question. I mean, uh, trying to handicap the exact number is always going to be hard because it, that depends so much on time slot and channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but and week one's always kind of weird because you, you, a lot of the big brands are, play on uh, Thursday or Friday of, of, of that particular game, right? Like the, the Florida-Utah game is, is going to be a pretty big helmet game, but that's that's on Thursday, right? Nebraska-Minnesota mm-hmm. are playing. That's, that's, on, that's on Thursday. And there are an unexpected number of um, – kind of fcs games you know looking through here this is i mean i, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being your abc game like your primetime game here for that for that for that that particular opener so i would certainly you know more than any non-conference game in colorado over the last eight years mm-hmm. uh, that i could think of here i mean you know alabama played usc in, in week one a, a little while ago you know clemson and, and auburn have played in, in well, clemson georgia have played in, in week one before ohio state and notre dame played week one like last year that was a national broadcast that, that, that had a lot of hype to it but you know when was the last time when hey, could college game day be involved in this is, is this going to be like the lead one or lead two story in like the first two weeks of the season that hasn't happened in a while that mm-hmm. yeah that that will probably be what we're talking about so we, we're we can't wait to see it, and we know it'll be matched that the next week uh, at some level when, uh, when Matt Rule and Nebraska head into into Boulder. You really couldn't ask for maybe not for from a win perspective or a getting your uh, your sea legs with a new roster, but as far as attention and, and coming right out of the gate with storylines, uh, it couldn't have lined up any better for Colorado this next season. Oh yeah, I, I I'm so glad those two teams are playing, yeah. even independent of Deion Sanders and everything else here. It is. I mean, correct. I, I, maybe there is a legitimate rivalry growing with Utah or, or, or with some of these other places here. But I, I would imagine for for gen, folks of a certain age, there's 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 some deep seated 
Oh, yes. Still, at some of those Big 12, and, and, and Nebraska's still a Big 12 team in my, my heart. Like, <laughs> it's fun to keep playing those. Like, I want Nebraska to keep playing Oklahoma, too. Yeah, and this is a nice, friendly reminder that I'm going to plug once again. Nebraska has not beaten the Colorado Buffaloes since 2009, so just letting you, just letting everyone yeah, people, know. Once people again, forget that. That's true. People forget that. Um, they like to forget that often, uh, but I will keep trying to remind them. Um, so I think all I have, too, is getting more into the football-specific parts. Um, you know, that first game, you mentioned it now, by the way, uh, FanDuel has TCU as a 21-and-a-half-point favorite, which I think is interesting. Um, given that they have very public losses as well. I thought they would try to get more public money on, on CU, and maybe they are, and I'm just crazy. But um, TCU is massive um, favorites for that first week. But um, just going through some stats last year on, on CU's team, Matt, I'd love to get just quick hits um, on how you think some of this might change for them, because I know there's some more skepticism on your side than our side. And yeah. then finally, um, just going through – CU's season this year, how you think they're going to finish? Um, so let's yeah. start. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I, I, I will, I will, I will begin this segment with a quick caveat that projecting winners and losers is less a part of major part of my focus, and yes. I think especially now, it's hard to do this before June because even I still don't have a, no, don't know hundred percent who's going to be on everybody's roster. Well, uh, and, and that becomes more clear. Yeah. Sure, in, in, a, in, a, in a couple of weeks. So I, I'm I'm happy to sound like a dumbass here and and and, and go. And... Oh, no. Oh, did we lose Matt? We just lost you for a second, Matt. There we go. I think we might have just gotten Matt back. There we go. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Um, and and I I'm not trying to go game by game because like you said, so much is still in flux, but. I like to now use the updated win total number as a quick over-under. So last year, CU's offense scored an average of 15 points a game. That was 127th in the country. CU's defense gave up an average of 44.5 points a game. That was last in the country, 131. Um, In my mind, I see that getting closer to around – no lower 20s in on offense like 23 24 points a game and then getting closer to like 35 points a game which would put them in those that 80 to 90 range on offense and defense um and, and also in my mind that gets them close to that three and a half win total that vegas has them at so i would put that around like a four win team or a five win team if cu gets very lucky on a certain game um so in your mind is that like crazy for me to think if they're a mid 80s offense defense team and you know win four games what does that look like to you nationally is that a success for neon um or you know is that leaving people wanting more um the the unpop my unpopular answer would be i think like i think anything above four is an unequivocal success okay anything below three is a failure whether it's a success of three and four, I think depends on how competitive you are against the teams that are much that are substantially better than you. Mm-hmm. But this team, you know, look at the schedule. If they beat Colorado State, uh, a rebuilding, you know, they split the Arizona State Stanford, you know, series. They 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 beat Arizona. Maybe they catch somebody else, and then they just get freaking drilled yeah. by Nebraska, Oregon, USC, and Utah. I don't know if that changes anybody's perception necessarily. If you okay. got a couple of six-point wins and then get stomped, um, if, if you're competitive, if you if you drop thirty points on, on some of those teams uh, and you provide compelling television for people to watch, 
and then I think it would change. And, and, and my maybe, maybe ignorant view is I would feel cautiously more optimistic about this team's scoring ability and offense than I would about their defense, especially over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is going to depend on injury luck. Like I would look and say, if Sanders gets injured, yeah, Colorado has to play backup quarterbacks with some significant snaps. I would say an off, uh, you know, a per play uh, average in the 100s is on the table, uh, and that's just a reflection of what the depth looks like on this team. If they they are pretty clean on on that front, um, and I think given the potential for this team to be pretty explosive, uh, then I think you could see raw scoring potentially even above 80. Uh, that's that's that the, the frustrating thing is. There's some pretty big variance, right? Um, that would that hinges on seven guys, and, and what kind, how quickly they they acclimate to this level, how healthy they they are, and how consistent they are, and that's mm-hmm. that's not really true for that many other teams, I don't think. It's definitely yes, star power first for for CU in 2023, and and, and honestly, I'm wondering too if the swing is where is Travis Hunter going to play if he's at receiver. Does the offense get that much better versus is he at cornerback? Is that help the defense? You know, I'm sure. Or, or, or does he do both? Does, does he, he end do up both? playing 70 snaps a game? I would imagine that they might end up using him on returns too, um, or at least in some kind of gadget plays. Because if like it, it, that's the thing, right? If, if you've only got six dudes who are like capital D dudes, yeah, you you need to be creative with them. If 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 Travis Hunt, if you had if the one guy in this roster that had the potential of Travis Hunter was your running back. You're throwing him the ball seven times a game. Like you're gonna, you're you're, you're spreading him out. You you just gotta find a way to get him involved. And like I I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up doing a little bit of both. Um, and I think that's what they sold him on. Uh, we we saw that slightly in the spring game as well. Like you said, nationally televised on ESPN too. But um, yeah. And I, you know, I guess I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but was it scripted that he was wide open in the end zone for the first touchdown? Who's to say? But uh, uh, I can tell you the answer to that one. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, uh, sources with with direct personal uh, information have said no. That 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 was on purpose. <laughs> like, <laughs> love it. That's incredible. Yep. He's a natural marketer. What can we say? Yeah. Um, John, unless you have anything else, I think we're happy to wrap this up. No, I we really appreciate you uh, joining us today, Matt. Again. Uh, for those that haven't checked out, check out extrapointsmb.com. Um, Matt's newsletter is a fantastic resource for all college football fans. And we really appreciate you joining and, and talking a little shop with us. It's it's uh, it's it's my pleasure. I, I can promise anybody listening to this, like, look, the newsletter is not Deion Sanders slander four days a week. Like, I think, <laughs> think I'm looking here the the past couple of days. Like, I, I wrote I wrote about the wisdom of playing games in Mexico. There, I'm going to have yes. some NIL reporting for uh, beforehand. I've written a lot about the development of the EA Sports College Football video game. I was the guy that broke when it was going to come out. Mm-hmm. I've, I've shared a lot of information about gameplay and everything. So, all that stuff interests you. You might enjoy uh, extra points in your inbox. Yeah, and and as CU fans as well, I think some of your larger thoughts about, you know, what some leagues are doing, what that might mean for realignment purposes, all of that's great. Um, Yeah, your national coverage is is incredible. And I personally am very appreciative that you're looking at um, NCAA football 2024 because, um, God, I need a new game. And that's that one's going to hit. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I can't can't wait. My my, (laughs) my big ambitious goal is to find a way to get in the game. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
I, I have I have a couple of people at EA who who started off with an uh, uh, feeling animosity towards me because yes. of all the Husky Floyd was. That's now grown <laughs> to respect, and uh, you know I, I can't promise, but like that that is the goal, right? To to have my name yeah. as one of the ones at the bottom of the screen in the newsfeed or something. We'll we'll see. Fingers crossed. Right. When you're doing when you're creating a team or you're taking over Old Dominion and you hire a, a firebrand media type, there's gonna be a Matt Brown and EA foying you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? Yeah, or we can get really meta and like <laughs> like on the screen like Matt Brown reports that EA twenty five is coming out. Like like if, if that was the only thing that I did, perfect. I would it'd be great. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for joining, Matt. Um, we, of course, learned a lot. ExtraPointsMB.com is the place where you can read it. And, of course, the newsletter is worth every penny. Thanks for joining. All right. Thanks, guys.